This is an APTA podcast. Welcome to PTJ Author Interviews. PTJ Editor-in-Chief Alan Jetty talks with authors about the most interesting and sometimes surprising aspects of their work. And now, Dr. Jetty. I want to welcome listeners to this latest PTJ podcast. This is Alan Jetty, and I'm very pleased today to have as my guest, Dr. Rachel (laughs) Krasinski. She is with the Department of Rehabilitation Medicine at the University of Washington in Seattle, Washington. Welcome, Dr. Krasinski. Thanks, Dr. Jetty. Excited to be here. Well, I'm really delighted to have the chance to talk to you. The title of the study we're going to discuss today is Skilled Nursing Facility Organizational Characteristics are more strongly associated with multi-participant therapy provision than patient characteristics. I love your title, by the way, because you you leave no question as to what the the take-home message is, and I like that. Let me... (laughs) No, go ahead. Oh, it's often hard to come up with somewhat interesting titles about large data analyses, so I appreciate that. I'm going to give a little summary of the aims of your study, and then we can talk about it. Um, This study used the secondary CMS data to characterize multi-participant therapy provision in skilled nursing facilities, or SNFs, and the investigators identified patient predictors, organizational predictors as well, of receiving any and high levels of multi-participant therapy. The investigators defined multi-participant therapy as groups of two to six patients per therapist and concurrent therapy as two patients per therapist. Did I get that right? That's right. Okay. So let's talk about the the policy background because everyone may not be familiar. CMS in 2019 put in place a new reimbursement scheme, which is referred to as patient-driven payment models, or PDPM. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was implemented in October 2019. Talk a little bit about how this new payment approach shifts incentives for PT and OT provision for patients in SNFs. Yeah, the PDPM was a huge shift um, for the first time in about 20 years for the SNF industry. And under the previous system um, called the Resource Utilization Group or RUG system, that system used therapy volume or combined therapy minutes per week to really be the primary driver of reimbursement to skilled nursing facilities. So that system, you know, is in place for about 20 years, and it really ushered in this huge increase in therapy intensity um, in SNFs, but there wasn't kind of a similar precipitous increase in uh, patient factors, patient complexity uh, that Medicare thought warranted that, that increase. So they they considered the rise in therapy provision to be mostly financially motivated. Um, so because they wanted to realign payment with patient need uh, under PDPM, well, SNF reimbursement is now no longer tied at all to the volume of therapy services. Um, so they use, you know, it's a kind of a complicated case mix group system, and they have all these different, you know, clinical components for different disciplines. Um, but the message to therapists really was, you know, we're going to determine your payment more based on 
you know, patient diagnoses and functional status and leave uh, therapy minutes out of the calculation altogether. It was a real game changer. And mm -hmm. prior to COVID-19, you talk in your paper about the increase in provision of multi-participant therapy. It went from less than 1% to 32 and 29% respectively for multi-participant and uh, concurrent therapy. Yeah, for concurrent and group. Mm -hmm. Now, COVID, I know, disrupted everything. Do we know kind of where things stand uh, currently? Yeah, sure. So the, the rise in multi-participant therapy after PDPM, I think, really came from SNFs trying to um, reduce their overall staffing costs. Uh, and we did see a, a lot of staffing declines, um, but they still want, you know, wanted to provide some therapy. So it was pretty efficient for them to do more, more group sessions. But of course, with COVID, um, restrictions on uh, are people being in isolation and facilities being on lockdown. There was kind of an immediate rise in multi-participant therapy and it, and it dropped significantly again. So I think by April of 2020, CMS said that um, concurrent therapy was back down to about 8% and groups were about uh, down to about 4% of total therapy time uh, during the SNFs days. That's still a lot higher than before PDPM. And then of course, as as vaccinations came and um, you know facilities are coming in and out of quarantine, that that multi-participant therapy provision has really fluctuated. So, you know, we have some data, um, but it's still coming out on kind of how exactly those patterns uh, had occurred. But we do know that because it's so efficient and it's kind of a um, it's it's not really best to maximize profits. We don't get paid more for those therapy minutes, but it is a good strategy to maximize staffing efficiency. So facilities are really still motivated um, to keep, keep providing multi-participant therapy as much as COVID allows them to. One of the nice features of your study from my point of view is that you focused on 2018. So it was kind of a baseline picture before the um, implementation of this new reimbursement. So it really helps us once we kind of move through this COVID experience, we'll get a better sense of what impact it's going to have. Mm -hmm. uh, and as you pointed out, the utilization was quite low in 2018. Mm -hmm. well, let's talk about some of the predictors, because I think that was really interesting, as you kind of indicated in your title. Let's first talk about the patient level predictors. If I re read your study correctly, you report slightly higher odds of receiving multi-participant therapy in patients who had better function and better cognitive status. Mm -hmm. Those who were uh, in the SNF for a longer length of stay and who received more therapy overall. Were those the major ones? And if so, did they explain very much of the variance in use of multi-participant therapy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, those were the major kind of predictors of receiving more multi-participant therapy. Um, there were kind of bigger effect sizes for those who received less. Um, so diagnoses like Alzheimer's disease, paraplegia, um, patients who received treatments like dialysis, um, and patients who needed an interpreter. Uh, all of those patient characteristics were associated with lower multi-participant therapy provision, which I think kind of makes sense as 
as clinical barriers for being appropriate for a group session. Um, the, in terms of explaining variance, it gets all statsy. You, you don't quite have the same ability to do an R squared in a logistic regression as a linear regression. So there, we can't say, you know, we do have, we have strength, kind of strength of associations um, that we're comparing between patient characteristics and facility characteristics. Um, so, you know, as we alluded to in the, in the title, we did see some patient characteristics that were related to getting multi-participant therapy, but overall the strength of the associations were larger for the facility characteristics. Let's talk about the facility and uh, regional characteristics. One finding that clearly jumped out at me as someone who lives in the Boston region is that compared to other CMS regions, the Boston Northeast US region had statistically lower all other regions had lower multi-participant therapy use as compared to Boston, to put it most simply. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that occurred? I, I, I was surprised by that. Yeah, I don't know what it is about Boston necessarily that to speak to, but I do. we look at some of these regional effects on purpose because um, they get a lot of attention from Medicare. There is rampant regional variability in practice in post-acute care. Um, variability in, in costs, variability in, in service provision, variability in outcomes. Um, and so we're always interested to see in kind of why these regional or how what regional differences are occurring. I think Medicare has said that 40% of difference in payments is attributed to just post-acute care. So it's a huge area of attention. I don't know necessarily what's going on in, in the Northeast, if it's perhaps, um, you know, more facilities that, that employ uh, contract companies that can really, you know, have a similar type of practice across facilities, could be related to um, facility size, so we'll, yeah, we're not really sure about about that region um, particularly. Uh, and interestingly, Did you control for any of those other factors? Yeah, yes, that is that's true. So you know, right in um, in excess of the relationship between you know staffing and um, and facility size, which we do adjust for, there were still kind of higher, much higher rates. So you know, practice patterns, training. I don't know that if we were able to adjust for chain affiliation, but that's another thing that you can see facilities that are linked to together to have um, just kind of similar rates of uh, therapy practice. To talk more about the facility characteristics, you found and reported that compared to patients in for-profit SNFs, those who were receiving care in not-for-profit facilities had 28% lower odds of receiving multi-participant therapy. And those facilities where they used all contract staff was associated with 26% lower odds of multi-participant therapy compared to those who employed all their therapists. What do you think is going on there? I know these are only associations, but mm -hmm. uh, share with our listeners some of your thoughts about those findings. Sure. In terms of, of for-profits, um, you know, for-profit SNFs providing more multi-participant therapy could, could kind of be related to multiple things. Um, you know, for-profits do tend to have lower staffing um, and provide overall a lower quality of care. Their outcomes tend to not be so great uh, compared to nonprofits. So it could be potentially reflective of less patient-centered or individualized care. 
Um, and for-profits also tend to employ you know, more therapist assistants. And we saw that um, higher therapy assistant staffing was also associated with higher provision of, of these group sessions. Um, in terms of contract companies, really, especially under the previous system, which you know, it was in place in 2018, contract companies have historically been employed by SNFs to really help them navigate that, that previous rug system, help them maximize therapy time, maximize reimbursement. And so these contract companies are probably pretty savvy in terms of being able to provide more profitable one-on-one -on -one care. So they're providing less multi-participant therapy, but they're really trying to maximize the individual minutes for payment. And the not-for-profit facilities provide, we're less likely to provide greater than 25% multi-participant therapy. Now, in 2018, there was no huge financial incentive mm -hmm. for, for doing that, right? What do you think that's driving that? Yeah, it was a little bit surprising that nonprofits um, kind of provided less, but I think that it probably has more to do with kind of a general better attention to individualized care. Uh, but another thing that I think is interesting to think about are some of the anticipatory effects. So in 2018, SNFs, SNFs knew what was coming. Um, the design of PDPM was released a few years before it went to an effect. So there may have been some anticipatory practice changes going on Good in the point. year that we looked at. Uh, and then we've seen other studies that, you know, other SNFs were ramping up their multi-participant therapy provision um, kind of in 2018 to kind of uh, have that practice, you know, change kind of figured out logistically. And so because for-profit SNFs have been very responsive historically to payment reform and also lost had a higher anticipatory loss of staffing in 2018 it could be that could be why for-profits were providing more more group sessions earlier on yeah i think that's a really good point and it's consistent with another finding that you reported when you classified SNFs as low quality they were had a much higher odds of receiving high levels of multi-participant care. So maybe they were kind of getting prepared for the change in reimbursement and kind of gearing up for it. Yeah, I think there, you know, there's the potential connection between multi-participant therapy and quality is something we'll still certainly want to continue to look at, um, especially as multi-participant therapies skyrocket under, under PDPM and it kind of remains this institutional incentive. Um, I do want to mention that, you know, I have looked at the patient level at some of these pre-PDPM relationships between um, multi-participant therapy and, and outcomes, um, kind of as a follow-up to this study, and it's not all bad. <laughs> so, there, you know, there are some benefits for receiving lower levels of multi-participant therapy, but that's why we really, for this study, split out um, the group that got high levels that actually exceed what Medicare now imposes as a limit on multi-participant therapy um, to really see you know, who is, which facilities were, were potentially um, able to um, really ramp up uh, providing high levels of, this, of these group sessions after PDPM comes into effect. Well, you know, that, that kind of anticipates my final question. Uh, do we know if there's a um, a quality of care difference between individual therapy and multi-participant, and if so, for whom? My, my guess would be it's not a one-size-fits-all. Do we know much about that currently? Is there much evidence on that? 
Not currently. Um, I have a paper under review, so <laughs> keep an eye out for that. And there's been, I think, one other small study that didn't find um, significant associations between multi-participant therapy and, and patient outcomes for gait speed and balance measures. Um, but what, you know, I, of course, am, I'm always a bit cynical of any sudden shift in practice that is financially motivated and not evidence-based. Um, so I do think that you know, we should pretty critically examine the utility for patients of, especially, you know, a lot of facilities mandated certain thresholds of multi-participant therapy provision without really any clinical justification, um, which kind of seems reminiscent of the problems we had under the RAG system. Um, so, you know, I think we should just tend to be suspicious of these, uh, these huge shifts um, and try to think more about how to make you know quality over quantity and making these individualized decisions for which patients should benefit from a, a group session because there are, are some some benefits that I've seen in, in my previous work they're small um, and but we still haven't really drilled down to a subgroup analysis of which patients benefit the most um, primarily because it was such a rare practice in the data that we have yeah but I, I think that's going to be a, an important question uh, it drives me crazy when we try to do one size fits all with these types of policy changes. Mm -hmm. And it frustrates me that CMS still hasn't kind of gotten into the game of really looking at not quantity, but um, where therapy is really having an impact and then mm -hmm. reimbursing providers for that. Yeah, preaching preaching to the choir on that one. Yep. <laughs> uh, there are, uh, you know, these kind of blanket policy approaches. It, sometimes it seems, you know, I think PDPM has some some good um, good implications for therapists, and we're starting to have to see therapists have to make a more um, kind of clinically justified decisions because it's not just based on minutes anymore. They don't get a you know, a, a time at the beginning of the day that they have to, to meet. Um, but you're right, we don't, PDPM doesn't have quality as, a, you know, a factor in the design at all. Um, so it's really up to us to, to make sure that, dis, you know, despite incentives changing, um, that we're still hopefully armed with some evidence to make, make good clinical decisions. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're continuing to pursue this line of research. And so I look forward to, to reading it. Thank and thank you for publishing your work in PTJ and for taking the time to talk to me about it today. Of course, thank you for publishing my work. This is great, I appreciate it so much. This is an APTA podcast.